This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 27. This is Writing Excuses, characters as foils. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And we've talked a lot about building really interesting characters, giving them arcs, having them uh, change as they go along. Now let's talk about them messing with one another. Mm. Mm, Yes. What do I mean by (laughs) foil? I thought you were going to say, what do you mean by messing with each other? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a foil is a character who serves within the story to act as a contrast to the main character. Now, this is not a character who exists to uh, to stop their forward progress, which is what the word foil sounds like it's going to be because of curses, foiled again. <laughs> but this is more like um, often a, a role that you'll see occupied by a sidekick character. Uh, they're someone who allows the character to express themselves uh, so that they are getting some of their internal thoughts outside um, and also to provide usually a point of contrast or, or conflict surrounding a uh, an internal conflict that the character has within themselves. Yeah, and it doesn't have to even be main character or side character. Correct. Uh, I've done it frequently with two side characters that to, in order to make them both more distinct in the reader's mind, I make them have some point of friction or contrast, which then as they discuss, they argue about or just offer examples of one another yeah. in that way. Like one of the examples we were talking about earlier was Abbott and Costello, mm-hmm. um, in which they are actually kind of foils of each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite things to read or see is when you have uh, a rivalry, for instance, and you do have two protagonists, but you can, in order to establish what they each are like, you use the, the other character use that contrast as opposed to another element of the environment or uh, other characters. Instead, it's almost like you're making the differences between them a character as well. Mm-hmm. And that kind of grows from the fact that they are, they don't even necessarily have to be opposite. They okay. can they can just be complementary. They can be contrasts. Okay. Yeah, I spoke uh, a while back about uh, my one protagonist whose sole object during the course of the story was to just be left alone and get high. <laughs> um, and so, so, and, and that character's name was Sleepy. Um, now, his foil was is uh, one of my favorite characters I've ever created. Just to put that out there, um, <laughs> and his name is One Hundred and Twenty Degrees of Knowledge, Allah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> right. And and the reason why they work so well together, and why uh, Knowledge Allah was his foil, is because in a lot of ways uh, they were like polar opposites. Knowledge Allah was an activist. Knowledge Allah knew what he believed, why he believed. And in a lot of ways, Knowledge Allah also played straight man to some of Sleepy's antics. And so uh, Knowledge Allah actually became the motivating force uh, to help drive Sleepy's story and drive his arc in a lot of ways. I think that goes to the thing that people talk about a lot, which is opposites attract. Mm-hmm. Um, that frequently what the foil is also doing is they are filling in the weaknesses of the main character. Right. Yeah. Which is why a lot of times you will see uh, husband and wife couples in, in a, uh, a foil relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, the, in The Thin Man, which is one of my favorite series yes. of films, um, the, the Nick and Nora – uh, they well, and actually, Asta sometimes acts as a foil too. But uh, they act as as a foil for each other. Although, given the way the films are structured, Nora is much more in the foil 
uh, role than, than Nick is because he, as the detective, is often driving the action more than she is. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Do you design this specifically or do you let this grow naturally or some combination of the two? Um, mo- the, the best example for my own work is um, this novella that I co-wrote with Max Gladstone, the working title of which is uh, This Is How You Lose the Time War. And it was totally baked into our concept. It was that we recognized that uh, Max and I have super different writing styles and writing paces and methods, and we wanted to make a, a virtue of that necessity and have these two characters that were going to be very opposite and have one called Red and one called Blue and have them be agents of opposite sides of a time war. Um, and everything about uh, the like, <clears throat> everything about the, those differences became part of the plot, part of the the texture of the book, and the the developments of it. But ultimately, the the point of those contrasts was ended up being more about how they're each not great representatives of their respective sides, and the more that they engaged with each other, which they do because it's an epistolary story, uh, the more that they engaged with each other, the more they realized how alike they were in in spite of coming from these places that are literally opposites. Um, yeah. it's, it's really easy to, I feel like, um, flanderize hmm. uh, one of your foils, which is this, this concept that you use where a character over time becomes more and more focused on their quirks hmm. rather than more and more round. They become more and more flat. Uh, hitting one note. Right. Um, but when a foil is done correctly, I feel like in in the best films and books where I've seen it, both characters become more rounded over time because of the friction between them, yeah. changing them both in interesting ways. Exactly. Yeah, I think that I I often, because of that, because of the way it allows you to, to flesh out a character, um, the times that I, I plan ahead to to insert a foil, most of the time they, they develop naturally. Uh, but the times that I plan ahead or when I'm planning on tackling a topic that is uh, particularly knotty or, or weighty because it gives me a way to explore multiple aspects of that topic by having two characters whose contrasting opinions and views on it uh, show that there's, you know, it's not just a single side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if I were telling a story about the, the merits of hamsters, I might have a character who is very, very pro-hamster and her <laughs> best friend would be anti-hamster. Right. And, and the, the, their conversations um, illuminate a lot, of, not just about the topic, but also about how much of this is just the nature of the character mm-hmm. versus the nature of, of hamster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the reason I, I do a lot of foils is actually because I, I, a lot of my stories tend to deal with some of the weightier topics. Um, and so by, by having that foil who's like the opposite of whatever character I'm working with helps me from sliding into a screed at any yeah. point. Because um, then now it's like, no, I have to look at the other side. Mm-hmm. I have to embody another uh, school of thought and, and, and let that play out more naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to. You'll, you have a natural motivation as a writer to hang a lantern on what's going on, that if they're, they're, you're speaking, you start into kind of a lecture, that other character is going to be like, oh, you're lecturing us now? Yeah. Um, it's very natural. It works really well. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. 
It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, let's go ahead and break for our book of the week, which is Breaking the Chains of Gravity. Yes. So Breaking the Chains of Gravity by Amy Shira Tatel is a phenomenal nonfiction book. And it's one that I, I came across when I was working on the uh, Calculating Stars in Faded Sky. Um, this is about uh, the space program before NASA. Hmm. And so it starts from the very early days of people just like, let me see if I can get this rocket off the ground. Um, and lots of people getting blown up. Hmm. Um and it it carries you through to the to the very early days of NASA, and one of the things that I just had no idea about was the uh, the sheer number of women who were involved in it with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, um, and also like it it also um, I don't want to minimize. <laughs> Uh, the fact that many of the early, and, and the book does not, that many of the early rocketry pioneers were Nazi war criminals, but it does highlight the fact that they began as a teenage rocketry club in Germany that got absorbed by the German army, which I didn't know. Mm. And uh, that that does, um, it certainly changes your view of rocketry when you begin to look at its past. Um, But there were just so many people. And it's a fascinating, incredibly well-researched book. And uh, she's got a real grasp of narrative. So it's an engaging read at Mm -hmm. the same time that it's filled with uh, really cool factoids. I was – this is – can I piggyback on that recommendation? Yeah. So there's this amazing poem by Sophia Samatar called Girl Hours. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's it's dedicated to Henrietta Swan Levitt. Oh, yeah. And the it, it's a brilliant poem. It's, it's basically as if it's written as if it's um, preparing to be an essay on the subject, but then broken up. So like the top part is actually notes. And says, in the 1870s, the Harvard College Observatory began to employ young women as human computers to record and analyze data. One of them, Henrietta Swan Levitt, discovered a way to measure stellar distances using the pulsing of variable stars. Um, And I didn't know about this until I read this poem, and it's absolutely gorgeous. So I'll put that in the liner notes as well. So you should check out this poem, which is called Girl Hours, and as well as Breaking the Chains of Gravity. So let's talk um, around foils. We often view them as the kind of A character, B character interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever designed a group where each character is meant to kind of be a foil for the same concept or a foil for one another in a big group dynamic? This is what a heist novel is. (gasps) (laughs) Yes, yes. 
I, I want you to talk more about that because I loved reading um, when you were writing about how you did research for a heist novel by watching heist movies. Yeah. Uh, well, so I watched a lot of heist movies, but I also read as many variations on heist novel as I could. And um, Scott Lynch's, I, I want to talk about something other than my own book, mm-hmm. but uh, Scott Lynch's uh, Red Sea Under Red Sky and uh, Lies of Locke Lamora. Mm-hmm. These characters all act as foils for each other. That Each of them has a weakness, and there is another character in the group who needles them on that weakness. Uh, and that weakness represents both what their skill set is as well as what their their personal failing is mm-hmm. and and so having that uh that that conflict externalized it allows for the book to be a lot more dynamic and one of the things about a heist in particular is that it's a group of characters each of whom has a specialty mm-hmm. um and the thing that a foil does in this case is remind you that they may have an area of specialty, but there's that area of specialty means that they have a ton of other weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So it prevents the group from feeling just like a flat, one-sided group collection of experts, right. which, which then is actually no fun to watch. Like if you watch a group of experts go in and accomplish something, hmm. it's, it's actually not very interesting. Um, just as a an example of this, um, I was talking with uh, Chell Lindgren, who's an astronaut, mm-hmm. and he was talking about actually in space, he always felt very safe huh. uh, because they had practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced everything that they were doing. They over-prepare before they go up there. So you go out, you do a thing, and it goes in in all of the acceptable variables because of the amount of prep time that you've put in. Right. So – that in a book is not very interesting. But if you throw a foil in there, that suddenly offers you a lot of places to insert cracks into the process. Hmm. That's true. No, I love that. At the same time, I was, while I completely agree, I find myself thinking of how uh, I really, actually really love watching people who are super good at stuff do stuff. Yes. Yeah, Um, but but then the story is very short. It's it's like we go in and we accomplish Mm. the thing and then we leave. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I mean, even even the Food Network, you know, with experts cooking delicious things, they have to generate some kind of drama somewhere. Oh, no, the, the, the... Pickles are sour. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> but that's, that's actually why Gordon Ramsay is so prickly when he's dealing with adults. But if you've ever watched his kids' right. show, yes. he's not. Because hmm. his his role there is not to be a foil to the child. Exactly. It's to actually be a teacher. Right. It's to actually embody right. that role. Well, and they do it for different cultures. If you watch the British version, he is way less of a foil hmm. than in the American version. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Anyway. That's the truth. Um, Diff, slightly different tacting on this. Um, I've noticed there's kind of two general groups of foil. Mm-hmm. There is, when you're writing a book, there is the team who have are just meeting and you find that everybody kind of hates each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's the long-term uh, couple who you use their foil nature at the start of a story to establish a long-term relationship. Um, and... I happen to like both of these. Um, I I really like how the second group can really easily show that these two characters know each other so well because they know how to push each other's buttons Hmm. um, in just the right way. But they also know how generally not to go too far on pushing those buttons and makes both characters usually more relatable unless these two people just don't get along at all. 
mm-hmm. um, which happens sometimes, which brings me kind of to a question. Um, how do you make sure when these characters are pushing each other's buttons that the reader understands why they're together in this situation? What tactics do you use to make it so that they don't just say, well, we don't get along. We're not good for each other. We are not good teammates. We're going to break apart and go separate directions. Well, uh the easy cheat for me has been it's exactly like the combination of those two groups that you were talking about, and we call that family. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just realizing that in the scene I was just writing this morning, I was just like, why are these people, to, oh, they're brother and sister, and they're kind of <laughs> stuck with each other, aren't they? And But they do. They know how to push each other's buttons, and but they're still kind of stuck in this relationship. They're like, we're not going anywhere, so how do we now accommodate one another? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I use um, a, a tool that I, I talked about uh, last week, the uh, Kowal relationship axes, which um, which I will recap for those of you who are listening to just this episode, <laughs> um, which is that basically there are six kind of sliders axes upon which uh, relationships are built. Uh, and the more you have in common with a person on these, the, the less friction there's going to be. Hmm. So mind, money, morals, manners, monogamy, and the Marx Brothers, which represents sense of humor. This is a, a theory my mother-in-law came up with for describing dating. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually really, really phenomenal. So what I do is that I try to make sure that, uh, for the most part, that my character's moral slider is really well aligned. Um, unless there is a reason that I want to specifically explore that. But if they have to go on a process together, you know, that is a place that they have to be in agreement if mm-hmm. they're both committing. Um, their mind can be out of alignment, their, their sense of uh, you know, what money is for, their sense of manners. Mm-hmm. Their sense of manners is usually one of the ones that if I want, them to, to, if I want there to be a lot of friction, yeah. that's one of the ones where I will slide them apart right. uh, and give them very different backgrounds so that they have different ideas of what is polite. Yes, that is fascinating, actually. The, the idea that... <clears throat> This has less to do with writing and more with my experience, but it's uh, I uh, I'm Canadian and I went to uh, live in the UK for six years, and uh, the the culture shock that I experienced was almost entirely to do with how people treat you when they like you, uh, and <laughs> and and I was I just I have a very very thin skin when it comes to to sarcasm and being teased. Which made things very difficult when I suddenly found myself in a country where the more people liked you, the meaner they were to you. Uh, and I just couldn't, like, I could not wrap my brain around this. Uh, that I just, but I, I like you and you're my friend. Why are you being horrible to me? And uh, uh, and they weren't, they didn't see it as being horrible. They saw it as being familiar. Yeah. Um, whereas if they were polite and distant with someone, then that would be um, someone who they weren't friends with. So Let's go ahead and wrap this up with some homework. And uh, the homework I'm going to give to you is I want you to take a famous soliloquy, like from Shakespeare or something like that, a a monologue, a single character saying something, and I want you to insert a foil. Hmm. It doesn't have to be comedic. It probably will from the nature of this assignment, but someone who is contrasting what they're doing and interrupting this. Or go the other direction. Take a famous comedy bit uh, like Who's On First and remove one side or the other. Take out... Abbott or take out Costello and maybe replace them with someone who just completely plays along and see how far it goes and see how it works when both characters are trying to one-up up each other with a joke or just take one out and see if the, it works on its own. Hmm. So this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. 
Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.